bright sunny afternoon that was unusual for Selhurst Park actually usually a freezing January motivated and thoughtful on this latest COVID-19 review day, Thursday the 7th of May 2020. We should all be immensely proud to have completed another three weeks of essential UK-wide lockdown and of course now await the decision of our government and health experts as to how we move forward, hopefully to the pub. Myself, <laughs> Ian Wallace and the right boys, Sim and Peter, remain delighted at the lovely reaction we've had to our YE1 daily project, which has seen us ascend 22 years so far, allowing ourselves and you, the listening thousands, to relive the contractual ups and downs of support in Spurs. Many thanks too to Ricky Swarbrick, Dan Dawson, Martin Cloak, Sam Cott, Anthony Costa, Chris Smith, Eric Edmund, Matthew Fletcher-Jones and Matt Bowers, who have all helped us to recall the key events of seasons gone by. Gladly all those contributors have stayed well and positive throughout the crisis. Long may that continue. So guest number 10 of the series is another South London-based Lily White who has followed the club home and away for years and years and still does now. So no doubt he'll be suitably hardened to revisit the trauma of 1997-98 season, relegation battle and six months of Christian Gross. Welcome on board, Bob Jordan. Bob, how are you keeping? Yeah, all good. All fit good. and healthy, fortunately. Good. And why have you agreed to punish yourself by engaging in talking about Spurs? Well, I've got kindred spirits that have also suffered a long by me, by the sounds of it. So, yeah, I thought I'd take the opportunity and share some of my findings in following Spurs. I mean, you, you get so famous on this podcast, you might even get a place <laughs> on Love Island next year, Bob. <laughs> it's actually been cancelled. Really? Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, Bob, so we might have to wait till 2021. Just a couple of questions we always ask newcomers, Bob. Who is your favourite ever Spurs player? I've probably got three that I would go for. Initially, my my idol was Martin Chivers. Wow. Going to my first game in 1972, he was, for around that time, probably one of the only world-class players playing in the England team at that point. And, and for about eight <coughs> months, he was absolutely world-class. So, big strapping centre-forwards, Really strong. I mean, I saw him in battles with David Webb, Eddie McCready. Remember that being one of my first games. And also, he had such a tremendous shot on him. Peter, you must remember okay, um, okay. Chivers. Not saying you're really old, but you must remember no. him. No, uh, Bob's era is my, my self-same era, yeah. My first game was in 70-71 season, and I do remember Chivers. He, you know, like, that was, he was probably my hero of the time. I would say that's when he really burst onto the scene, and uh, he was on a, a recent uh, another podcast as a guest, and he talked through a goal that I vividly remember him scoring against Stoke, where he got it on the edge of the box and curled it past Gordon Banks. Bit of man love there as well. I, I remember his bronzed thighs <laughs> in micro <laughs> shots. <laughs> we like to be metrosexual on this podcast, Bob. Who's, who's your other two then? Glenn Hoddle, because he seemed to lead us out of the, the wilderness years, really. Because after Nicholson went, and we had the grave event of Terry Neal turning up, and the team, from having a 
another solid almost team, the team of the early mid-70s then disbanded. And there was quite a lot of mediocrity floating around, much as probably the seasons that we're about to cover. And Hoddle was, was the one bright, shining light. Him and probably Alfie Conn yep. during his, his brief spell. And then Hoddle spurred us on to uh, two cup wins. A UEFA Cup win before, unfortunately, leaving. But, yeah, obviously, seeing him at first hand... He's obviously one of the most gifted players possibly ever, and certainly probably the most gifted player I've actually seen play. That then leads me to Paul Gascoigne, who then followed on as the next hero, a maverick this time. Boy, was he a fantastic footballer. He was a great footballer, wasn't he? And yeah. he, he, he sort of really dragged us out of some games, didn't he? Yeah, so, I mean, again, he was... Sort of in a huddle position, we'd, we'd sort of lapsed, we'd dropped away from following on from the UEFA Cup win. David Pleat came in and then unfortunately departed under, I'd say, acrimonious. I'd say it's uh, difficult circumstances, let's say. Yeah. And then we had Venables come in and the following season he brought Gascoigne in. So that, again, it was a rebuilding process. And he was probably the uh, the cornerstone around that. One of my most memorable days as supporting Spurs is obviously the 91 semi, which Gascoigne just totally, utterly unbelievable in that. Which then goes on, so that's probably one of my favourite days of all time. What would you say is your? Is, would you say that's your favourite Spurs moment, or have you got another? Yeah, game? and probably also winning the UEFA Cup in '84. That was a tremendous. Tremendous game, tremendous night. For it to go penalties and us win a game on penalties was, yeah, it was another unbelievable night. Are you really missing winning trophies? Because, Peter, I'm sure you've got a question to ask on this. Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone who listens to this podcast is, probably knows where I stand on um, winning trophies, whether that's more important than finishing in the top four. I mean, everyone knows where I stand. But what about you, Bob? What do you feel about that? I'm probably the same as you, Peter. I would accept an FA Cup and a League Cup and a Europa League over getting in the Champions League. Yeah. I'd like to obviously be at the top table, but if you gave me a choice of over a three-season period, if we got into the Champions League one of those seasons and then won trophies in the other two seasons. I'll be more than happy with that. Yeah, see, you and I are kindred spirits then on that. Yeah. I mean, like these, yeah. these, and these Mavericks you talk about, they keep, come, they keep cropping up. Ginola, Gascoigne, Hoddle, Waddle. I mean, all these guys, they've got flair, and they're all, always associated with Spurs, you know. That's what I grew up on, and it sounds like you grew up on the same, yeah, same exactly, thing. Yeah, exactly yeah. the same, yeah. I think um, the modern-day fan is uh, slightly differs, I think, with the Champions League, but... We talk about this a lot on here, so Bob, it's good to get your view on it. Very yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think I don't honestly think until you get to the quarterfinals, the Champions League is overrated. There's a lot of dross games in the group games. Yep. And yeah, there probably more dross games in the Europa League. But I would actually settle for one season winning the FA Cup and playing in the Europa League over getting in the Champions League. Yeah, them days I'm talking about, we were consistently winning things as well. Don't forget, we were the first team, we talk about Europe, to win a European trophy in the British Isles. Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah. Six, was it 63, the yeah. Cup Winners' Cup? Yeah. 
Yeah, first British yeah. team to win a, a European trophy. To get back to those days now. <laughs> anyway, let's crack on. So, uh, like in our review of season 2012-13, back on the 2nd of April, when we shared our thoughts about entering the first season without legendary captain Leslie King, this campaign saw the club bid an emotional farewell to Gary Mabbott, who served as centre-half for 16 years and 11 years as captain, having taken the armband on a permanent basis from Graham Roberts. After Mabbott's defensive partner moved to Rangers in 1986, Peter, how, how did you feel about Mabbott um, retiring at the time? No, my feeling was that all good things must come to an end. You know, I've got, but I've got in his case, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. Not only did he lift silverware in a Spurs shirt, but he put his body on the line consistently on a number of occasions. Everyone remembers Justin. Uh, no, is it, is it Justin Fashionews? John Fashionews. John Fashionews' elbow, which gouged his eye socket. You know, I can still see the horrific pictures of that. He's a genuine Mr. Tottenham, I think. A guy who overca- overcame juvenile onset diabetes, where he had to inject himself every day to become a top-level sportsman with those leadership qualities that I think have been lacking in our dressing room in recent years. And he managed to combine that with being... What seems a genuinely nice guy. I don't think I've ever heard him say anything bad about anyone, even Gaza's craziness. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I love, I love Gary Mabbott. He seemed a bit of a mentor for him, though, Peter, didn't he, really? <laughs> he did, yeah. And Gaza was a tall mentor. <laughs> he, he definitely was. Uh, Bob, how did you feel? Well, Gary Mabbott was the season prior to him him actually retiring, he only had one appearance, the 96-97s, he broke his leg early doors. Yeah, he did. And really, I think that led on, because I actually did go and check on appearances. Uh, 97-98, he only had nine appearances, plus three substitute appearances. The previous season, he had 41. Wow. So that really shows the guy's demise, unfortunately. He went from being the mainstay, the heart of our central defence, to coming back as a bit part player in what was becoming a bit of a shambles. Sim, can you give us some key facts of the season, please? Right, yeah, so as you said in your intro, we were in a relegation battle, a proper relegation battle, actually. We only finished four points clear of the bottom three. I mean, in my time, that's unthinkable. And there's not been that many seasons, really, that Spurs have been in relegation battles, have they? No. Uh, well, the 93-94 we were as well, so yeah. we were sort of coming accustomed to it from being middle of the table cup side to starting to struggle, not having cup runs. That was the start of the barren years, really. It was a very eventful season in terms of transfers. I think you could probably say that Teddy Sheringham finally ran out of patience with the, with the club and what was going on on the pitch. There wasn't really much chance of winning any silverware was there and so he moved to Man United for three and a half million. Roddy Rosenthal was another player who left although he never really he was never really a prolific striker was he Rosenthal. He went yeah. to Watford. Then in terms of the incomings, you know we we got two we got two pretty exciting players from Newcastle, uh, David Jenner and Les Ferdinand both came in for a combined eight million. That's a reasonable statement if you have a look at it, but was Ferdinand a little bit past it, would you guys say? I think so. Newcastle uh, had seen the best of him. I know we're gonna go back to a game in the previous season. His performance and his partnership with Shearer. But you also look at the players around him. I mean, he had Peter Beardsley there, still playing behind the front two, threading balls through. You had Rob Lee, Ginola as well. All of those players would have walked in the Spurs side. 
Another key point at this time was Darren Anderson. Over the season, the 96-97 the season, Anderson played 17 games. And I think it's probably no coincidence. At the time he had serious injuries, Spurs did start to drop away. And he, he wasn't playing at the time. The 97-98, he only played seven games. So yeah. although he had players such as Dominguez, who looked a lovely player, but perhaps flattered to deceive a bit. He was full of tricks, lots of skill. But, you know, did he really deliver the killer cross? Did he really provide that many assists? Uh, you know, a wonderful footballer. But yeah. didn't really fit in with our... So he, he came in, didn't he, in that period? Who else came in? Yeah, Dominguez came in from Sporting Lisbon for about one and a half million. And yeah. that concluded our deals for the... For the summer, and I think it was midway through the season, wasn't it? That when we kind of started to struggle and the manager yeah. changed, and then yeah. that's when that's when a couple of guys came in, in in the winter. And you know, we'll come on to them a little bit later. But these guys came in, and yeah. they possibly fired us to safety in the end. Yeah, I mean, I just I just want to Peter give you some context of the transfers over the season. We spent twelve million. Everton spent five million. Liverpool one and a half. Barnsley three million. Leeds to Newcastle Knights. There was a massive spending, you know, but oh, again, we, we, as Sim said, we spent big that season, so we obviously having a go, weren't we, Peter? Yeah, it, it seemed like comparatively those figures, you know, if you're looking at those figures, yeah, we were, I mean, the, 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 lay, the outlay for Ginola and um, Ferdinand at the time considered quite a, a substantial amount of money. Was that four million for Ferdinand and two for Ginola? I think six for Ferdinand, two for Ginola. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was eight between the two. I think it was six and two. Right. Yeah. They were big players. You know, Ginola, that was a massive, massive buy for us at the time. I remember being quite excited in pre season, Bob, before the season started. I felt, wow, that's a good statement. That was the year Alan Sugar came out with his famous Carlos Kickerball story and said, I'm I'm not signing any uh, Carlos Kickerballs. And we signed. Ginola anyway and Ferdinand but for me Ferdinand was hugely disappointing Ginola was was another flair player he really did flourish under George Graham but he was a flair player in a struggling side Sim and then during the season we also had some other transfers if you want to sort of go through the ones we signed during the season yeah so one of your favourite guys uh, Ian Nicola Bertie came in (laughs) over the year We'll, we'll come on to him a bit later. <laughs> Over the winter, yeah, and he was involved, heavily involved in um, a few very good performances towards the end of the season, which, like I said before, kind of saved us. Musa Saib as well, who um, Peter seems to quite like as well. He yeah, seems. there was an elegance about him. One again that didn't, kind of a little bit of flutter to deceive, but he just seemed to have, really be good on the ball, but he just didn't seem to go the full distance. The times I saw him, I thought, yeah, he looks like a bit of a player, could be. But he's really smooth, moves the ball quickly. Yeah. He's a lovely footballer, Bob. Do you remember much about him? Yeah, Sonny? neat and tidy. Yeah, again, I'd probably agree with Peter Flatter to deceive a bit. Looked like he could have achieved an awful lot more. The big one was Jurgen Klinsmann coming back on loan from Sampdoria in January. I believe Alan Sugar had some less than complimentary things to say about him when he left, was it two or three years earlier? Yeah, brandishing the number 18 shirt on live <laughs> TV. I wouldn't actually use this shirt to wash my car. I can't somehow picture Lord Sugar out there with a sponge and a bucket of soapy <laughs> water washing his car down on a Sunday, well, on a did, Sunday morning. They did, come, 
And he didn't come from the hood in Hackney, didn't he? So you never know. <laughs> he rolls up his sleeve. So they're the players coming in. See if you can sort of give us the first six or seven games, how we did. Yeah, so we started the season under Jerry Francis. He'd, he was um, approaching three years in charge, which he did manage to reach, but his tenure ended after three years and four days, I believe. The first game of the season was actually Teddy Sheringham's return to the lane, and he hit the post with a penalty. I don't know if you guys remember this game. Yeah, Sheringham hit the post in his debut, and we conceded two goals in the last 10 minutes, lost that game 2 0. I suppose you expect to lose to that United team, don't you? Yeah, can I, can I just interject there, Sim, actually? Because I remember yeah. I didn't go to the game, but I remember watching and I remember Sheringham got booed. Peter, did you feel that was harsh? Teddy Sheringham got to the age of 30, right? Never won a medal. It's one of those situations where it kind of left with my blessing really. I thought, well, you know, I wasn't one of those guys who sang that song about him. Mm. Unfortunately, it, it sort of created a well-trodden path. But I think he was the very first to leave the club and then find an upward trajectory in his career in the sense that his career went upwards from leaving us. And he was the first for that to happen with. But it paved the way for Sol Campbell, Leda, Berbatov, Modric, Bale, etc. So after the United game, we lost to West Ham. So that was two defeats out of two. Pressure was really starting to mount on Francis now, I believe. We suddenly went on to win two games. So we beat Derby and Aston Villa. Ferdinand started the season with three goals in his first four. But then he didn't score again until, I think, April. He had a lot of injury uh, problems in the season. You know, he did, he did stay at Spurs for quite a while, didn't he? And it's a signing that seemed to work out okay in the end, but like Bob said, maybe didn't quite hit the heights in Newcastle. The Arsenal gave us a fifth game, win it? So after yeah. drawing with Arsenal, which is a pretty, pretty all right but result. You know what, they, 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 that was a really strong team, Sim. I mean, they had yeah. um, Vieira, Petit yeah. and Burkham. And Bob, do you remember that game? I remember that game actually well. It was like the yeah, it was, that, it was that sort of time when we were lucky if we got a shot at Highbury so you know as if we got a shot we were almost celebrating it was almost like a week that was the time when they were particularly dominant over us I mean they were really strong that game was like the Alamo how on earth they didn't win that game I remember going to the Leicester game we actually ran a coach up to Leicester that game and I thought that we didn't play with one forward up front but Ferdinand did play and I think Armstrong must have been injured, but I think Ferdinand got injured in the first half. Um, for a period of that time, we had no forwards, and it's mm. you know you get it in the times of four four two, as it was very much in that season and around the nineties and prior to that, we were playing with one man up front eventually. Now this day and age, you can play with the false nine. You can play mm. with without a main focal point, a main centre-forward, someone withdrawn. But at that time, that game, I remember, Francis got absolute dog's abuse from the travelling support. And I think that really was the beginning of the, of the end. I don't know if you can remember, we then started, that, that song came out, We Want Our Tottenham Back. Yeah, I do remember, actually. And that was, that sort of all built up around that time, and I think yeah. that's when he'd finally had enough of it. We had a couple of draws after that. We had Blackburn Rovers at home, nil-nil, and then Bolton away, a draw, 1-1. I went to the Wimbledon home game, and yeah, I do remember that. There was much unrest in the crowd, I remember. Nil-nil at home to Wimbledon, who was just a physically strong team. And Sim, I don't know you want to take us through to basically when Francis resigned as manager, which is on the 19th of November, please, Sim. Yeah, so after the Wimbledon game, bloody there was a lot of nil-nil draws in this um, 
in this yeah. late part of the night, isn't there? I feel like there's going to be a few more. Um, actually, we're, we're already past the George Graham era, so maybe not quite as many. But um, yeah, so we went and lost at Newcastle. Was it the 15th that Francis resigned? Or? 19th. 15th. It's just the 15th. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, I would say you might be right. We beat Sheffield Wednesday on the 19th. Uh, it was only our third win of the season, and Jill got his first league goal for us, so that would have been a positive at the time. But, you know, we we were in a bit of disarray, and then in came the Messiah, Christian Gross. Peter, I don't know if you remember, Francis famously didn't wouldn't sign a contract because it was just a handshake. He was a real man of principle. But he actually resigned. He didn't get sacked by Sugar. Do you remember that? Yeah, he did. He, did. he walked. I suppose when we got him, you could say it was a military coup. <laughs> shocking, shocking. And then, as Tim says, the Messiah came along. Obviously, we know the famous thing coming on the tube. Brown for the lit- his one day travel card or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and apparently he said, um, I want this to become the ticket to my dreams. Bob, do you remember him getting a rough time with the press straight away by just by saying that? You're derided. Like to, to, yeah, I mean, it was... Perhaps a little bit, yeah. I mean, he was—he tried to portray himself as a man of the people. Again, he was like a manager I'd never heard of mm. from a minor league team, and it was—it was a bit of a punt, I think, from Sugar. Just the fact he'd seen seen what happened with Wenger at Arsenal, he was sort of believing the hype about the foreign managers, and mm. and then he's got Christian Grosin, who was successful in a small league. Yeah, and you know it didn't really inspire anyone. One of his quotes was, "We must play a physical power game," and then that led to the tabloid headlines of "Gross ready to crack the whip at Spurs." I will sort out Southern softies. I mean, that didn't endear him to the fans, really. We, we you know, or did it endear him to the fans, Peter? Do you remember? Uh, no, I think by in the media, like he seemed to be painted as a figure of fun, really, and the. The Heathrow underground ticket thing seemed to come back to haunt him and bite him on the bum a little bit in the end. He didn't seem to me give out an air of authority and almost seemed a bit hapless in the end. I don't think the fans wanted to. The job was too big for him, really, wasn't it? It'd come from a small Swiss side. Was it Grasshoppers or was it Young Boys he actually It was Grasshoppers, wasn't it? It was Grasshoppers, yeah. Really, that's the equivalent of a, I'm going to say, an old second division side, i.e. a championship side, you know, if you're lucky, at best. So he's come into what potentially can be a bit of a cauldron and can be can be toxic. Sugar held Francis in quite high regard, actually, and I don't know if anyone knew this, that Francis received the best record over the first 50 matches of any Spurs manager. Sim, can yeah. you believe that? Yeah, I mean, I was looking back at some of his first season. It just seemed like it was a it was a decline every year. I think he finished. It, we were we in a bit of trouble when he maybe not like relegation trouble, but I think we'd had a bad start when he came in. Yeah, we kind of into we a season. Had, yeah, yeah, and he led us to seventh, but then the position kind of dropped every year afterwards. Yeah, he did take over from our dealers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does, does anyone think that? Um, I used to think he was a really good talker in press conferences. Christian Gross, Peter, do you remember him? I, I thought he'd come across well, but. Possibly, as you say, he didn't have that authority to deal with the English press. Yeah, I don't think he was really taken that seriously by the press. Like I said, like, he didn't give off that air of authority. Like With someone like Wenger, you had that kind of like quiet, assured... No one knew who yeah. he was when he walked in. He looked like some kind of university professor or something. I think Bob's right. You know, Sugar was trying to 
replicate maybe that, but it kind of didn't work out for us. Graham Barnwell, who was the League Managers Association chairman then, he said that he was one of the best dozen foreign coaches in the world. Ooh, not Christine sure Rose. about that, Bob, you? No, no, not at all. <laughs> Just to wrap this up, Sugar was very friendly with Francis and he said glowingly about Francis that he would go on to make some other chairman a very lucky person, which is quite high praise from Sugar, don't you think? Mm, never happened. Did yeah, it? unfortunately, I don't think he did, did he? <laughs> no, he's looking for a right spot. <laughs> I think he made a lot of money outside the game and I think he kind of like was more concentrating on his outside businesses. I think he's kind of fell out of love with the game a bit. He's still coaching yeah. now though, isn't he? Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, no. I think he's, is, is he, I don't know if he's still here, he was at Palace, wasn't he? He's coaching pigeons, isn't he? He's pigeons, he's still doing pigeon racing. <laughs> yeah. Is that what he did, Bob? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. That was, his, that was his stress relief. Grace got rid, got rid of a lot of players or got them out of the squad, like there was David Howes, Colin Calderwood, they started to sort of be, you know, moved out of the squad. So I sort of felt quite positive at the time but I just think he was very unlucky, Sim. And then after his, well, how did his first, say, five or six games go? We were right about the 15th. It was actually the 15th of November. So, yeah, Jerry Francis went after a 4-0 defeat at Liverpool. Christian Gross's first game was a 1-0 defeat at home to Palace, who finished bottom of the league. So that's not a great start. He did win at Everton in his second game, but then lost 6-1 at home to Chelsea. And 4-0 yeah. away to Coventry, which is not great, really. Torre yeah, Andre Flo. <laughs> Torre so Andre Flo gave me nine. Yeah, did he score a hat trick in that game? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was this. I remember going to that game, but I remember that's the earliest I've ever left the game in my life. I reckon I possibly got back to Liverpool Street before the game ended. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was really dark days. I mean, he was one one at half time. They used to always beat us, didn't they? He and Hasselbank just seemed to love scoring against them. Love yeah, them. they really did. But I think as soon as the second goal came, such was the fragility of the team at the time, Bob. Any sort of going against them, their heads would go down, wouldn't they? They would capitulate. We used to get overrun in midfield all the time. You just didn't have an awful lot of quality in the centre-mid positions. Can I tell you who was the centre-midfield at the time, based on appearances? It was pretty much Nielsen and Howells. They played the most. Anderson played seven games. And then Nicola Bertie sort of came in. So we've said in previous podcasts that the Nicola Bertie song is my favourite ever Spurs song. I was amazed you told me a story about this the other day, Bob. Yeah, it was on a coach travelling up north, and I can't actually remember the game. One of my mates, Danny O'Hare, who was particularly adept at writing songs, coming up with football songs, he managed to create this, and it's one of the ones that stuck. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, that and Can't Smile Without You. He's never received a penny for it, so yeah. it's a sad thing. But Peter, if we look back at that midfield, Rule Fox was on the right, Janola on the left, and you know, as I said, Nielsen and Howes and Bertie and Anderson. What do you think to that midfield, Peter? Well, you know, if you're comparing that with Gascoigne and Hoddle, Waddle, you know, it's uh, even Petit and Vieira. Bit of quality on the wings there. I thought obviously Janola great on the left, or Rule Fox. I see him bobbing down the right occasionally, but no real consistency. But it's like in the centre of midfield. In the days of 4-4-2, I think we were lacking there. Between the period 24th of November to the 18th of May, you know, we were 17th or 18th for this whole period. I mean, we flirted with relegation, Sim. Can you sort of believe that? It's a pretty close call, wasn't it? With three games to go, we had three absolute crunch games. In the, in fact, I'll probably go back to the four games. I think we went behind at Barnsley. Barnsley went down in the end. But we went behind to Barnsley and it was only a colder goal in the second half that equalised in that game. And it could have been disastrous if we'd lost that game. 
And we seem to just pull it together in the last three games. I don't know if any of you were were at those games, but you know, we went into the the last three games. We had Newcastle, Wimbledon, and Southampton. At that point, we were only two points clear of the bottom bottom three, and it's in seventeenth. So it's pretty, yeah. pretty dangerous. I mean, we, stuff. we just to remind you guys, we got forty four points, and Bolton went down with forty. So it's pretty close. But I mean, I remember going to the Wimbledon away game. Peter, I think you went as well. And Bob, I think you went as well. Yeah, you? I went. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The bright, sunny afternoon that was. Unusual for Selhurst Park, actually. <laughs> Usually a freezing January. Even Saheb scored, didn't he, Peter? Yeah, our safety was secured. Sugar talked Klinsman into coming back, didn't he? Invited him onto a yacht in Monte Carlo. Yeah, he scored four goals that day. It was one of the games you couldn't get a ticket for love nor money. I actually ended up getting one off of the town and sitting in the Wimbledon, not the Homestale ends, like the Sainsbury's end part. I remember sitting in there, which was, again, was probably three-quarters Spurs in there. It's unbelievable that, that, you know, a team of our stature and presence, you know, a big, a big club just managed to avoid relegation. But we did avoid relegation that time. And I just, just wanted to point out something that David Pleat was appointed director of football in early 1998. So that was sort of Sugar's big you know, attempt at becoming a bit more of a modern club, I think. Do you guys remember that happening, Peter? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Because I always thought of to have a good tactical brain, David Fleet, and uh, remember his five-man midfield with Clive Allen at the top. We'll get onto that 87 team in due course. So I think we can wrap up the Premier League season. Bitterly disappointing. 14th, the year before we finished 10th. But just to escape relegation, Sim, how did we do in the Cups, the FA Cup first place and the League Cup? The FA Cup, we got through the first round, beat Fulham 3-1. And then we went out after replay with Barnsley, drew one at home and then lost 3-1 away. But I think we got the bigger prize in staying up ahead of them. Yeah, agreed. And the League Cup? Not, not that we should be bragging about getting one over Barnsley. But... No, correct. <laughs> correct Sim. It was dark days. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in the League Cup, we went through the two-legged... Uh, second round against Carlisle went through 5-2 on aggregate and then we went out at home to Derby in the next round 2-1 pretty rancid season so in true YE1 style can we sort of sum up the season in a couple of words Sim how would you sort of sum it up a gross shave Ooh, <laughs> I like it you're obviously the journalist amongst us Peter how would you like to sum up the season rescue mission or sugar daddy Bob what you got Oh, I, did, I didn't know this was happening. Well, I think probably my drinking increased during that season. So uh, <laughs> that's all I can probably say. At that time, the game became incidental. It was more about the event of going to the game, seeing your pals. It was a dross season. Yeah, Christian dross, you can have that. Yeah, all right, yeah, Christian that, dross. That, 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 that. I, I, I just want to wrap it up because I had prepared for this one. The kit was pony and we were pony. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was some of the worst kits we've ever had. Yeah, it was as well. You're right. No, dark, just dark days all round. Sim, yeah. you were lucky. You were lucky not to, to be part of that. But anyway, guys, Bob, really appreciate your time on the podcast, your debut. I think you've done very well. Did you enjoy it, Bob? Yeah, very much so. Very much Good. So. Well, hopefully you'll come back to review another turgid season. And Sim and Peter, thank you, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Yeah. Cheers, thanks guys. For, thank you thanks very much. for listening, everyone. See you again on YE1. Thanks, guys. Bye.